Today we're following on from last week's episode and tackling our listener Jazz's question about how to stay motivated when the search drags on and on without success and you have to adjust your budget downwards. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Last week, we tackled some of the challenges posed in an email from one of our listeners around the impact of rising interest rates on her borrowing capacity. In this episode, we're discussing ways in which first home buyers can carry on and not lose hope. But before we get into that, we're going to look at Megan's uh, photo behind her in the image. But I haven't changed it because we're really just doing <laughs> we're doing a follow-on episode from the previous episode. So this is my a bit deck. lazy. It's, <laughs> she's just got her deck. As is. So we're not, we're not going to go on <laughs> and on and on. Demolition. About- we're not going to go on about the demolishing deck. Um, you can <laughs> tune into last week. If, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, you should because this is the precursor to this one anyway. All right. To recap. First-time buyers are the fastest shrinking segment of the property market right now because their borrowing capacity is hit hardest as rates rise. They're also the most vulnerable to interest rate rises once they've purchased because they typically have the largest LVRs, the loan-to-value ratio, and the least amount that they actually own versus the highest amount that they actually owe to the bank. Veronica, yes. it's tough. And yes, and and just a quick sort of aside on this one, with the amount that you owe versus the amount that you own, there's two ways that you increase the amount that you own, O-W-N, not O-W-E. Um, and one is by paying down your debt, right? And obviously early on in your mortgage, the Every repayment that you make, the highest proportion of all that money is going on interest. It's it's a bit of a rort, but it's the way it is, right? So you're, you're chipping away at the tiniest way at the actual principle of the loan. Um, and the other way that you uh, increase the amount that you owe versus how much you own, um, sorry, the increase the amount that you owe instead of how much you owe, now I'm getting myself all confused, <laughs> is in capital growth. 
is in buying a property that goes up in value and the longer that you own it, the more of the bigger proportion of that property you actually own versus mm. owing the bank, right? The so, beauty of compounding growth. Oh, it's be it's a magic, it's it's a mystery truly to behold. We just mm. love it. Now Obviously, upgraders, so people that are have already in the property market and then they're selling a property in order to upgrade their home or even if they're downsizing or whatever, but particularly with first home buyers, the next step is to be an upgrader. You know, you want to buy a property that goes up in value that you can then when your family gets larger or your requirements um, in, increase, then you want a better home, better suburb, bigger home, whatever it is, and you go to sell the property that you're currently in to upgrade, you can partly fund your next home purchase with the sale of your existing home. Mm. And therefore, you're less likely to need to borrow large sums of money. And therefore, you're also less affected by jumps in the cash rate or jumps in interest rates. And what that means basically is that once you're in the market, and once you have been for some time, you are way less vulnerable to interest rate rises. And the reason I'm sort of laboring this point is because there's there's a reason to persist. Mm. There's a mm. reason to not give up. And that is because down the track, the next time this sort of thing happens, you want to be one of those people. You don't want to be one of the people you are today. We want to help you be one of those people. An, an action taker, but with, you know, everything in the right order and taking the right steps and managing your risks really well. So exactly. just, just taking action isn't the answer. Doing it in a methodical, systematic way is the way to do it. So this episode, really, we wanted to, I guess, let's touch a little bit on Jazz's email that she sent through because... Yeah, you know, there's a lot going on for this young couple in their their lives and their situations, and I think it probably reflects what a lot of other people are going through. Mm. So I'm just going to sort of paraphrase as we go through. Jazz says she's been listening um, to the podcast for about a year. Thank you. Go, Jazz. Been very helpful. Glad we can help. I have listened to every single one, listened to a new one as soon as it comes out every week. Awesome. For the last few months, I've been hoping you would bring one out on something to do with interest rate rises. I'm starting to spiral and think the house I've been trying so hard for is just never going to be obtainable. Here's our story. Now, what we did for Jazz and everybody else who has asked us about how rising interest rates affect you and what to do about it, that's last week's episode, Veronica, 95. Six. Six. 96. So episode 96, we've talked about the rising interest rates. So Jazz and her partner started looking at houses in May 21. They were searching for the perfect unicorn. Oops. Uh, because we know there's always going to be compromises. But the reason, they had a reason, they had to find the home for her and her partner, but also she has a disabled father who was reliant on her to house him. Um, can't work, he rents and... He's in a position now where they, they really need to be cohabitating. So he'll be paying about $200 a week rent. And, of course, that can assist um, in this situation with the servicing side of things. But, of course, it means there's a different type of property they're looking for because they, they're looking for a dual occupancy kind mm -hmm. of arrangement where they have a house and some privacy and her dad has his own um, self-contained area, granny flat or downstairs or something like that they've been looking for. So, of course, being the caring daughter she is, she doesn't want him to worry about things. So, she's really focused on finding this very difficult um, property. At this point, between her partner and herself, she has a little over $100,000 for a deposit. And that's when they started. Sorry, Veronica, they started searching. They had $100,000 deposit in about April 21. 
Well done. Congratulations. That is a great start. I thought that's great. That's more than the 5% we need for these deposit schemes that the government has sort of put out. Mm -hmm. And cue price hikes and me doing things completely out of order is how she goes on to tell the story. (laughs) (laughs) I think... Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it, I, they held off for a few months. At that point, you go, oh, my God, you can just imagine. I can just imagine what? not knowing what's prices. going on. April yeah. 21 was a really rapidly moving marketplace. Crazy. And there was lots of um, offers being made on properties that, you know, we come back to the office in our buyer's agency on a Monday and say, did you see what that sold for? And and when you're doing that consistency in a professional consistently in a professional capacity, I can't imagine what it feels like to be someone mm. who isn't knee deep in this all the time, seeing it everywhere. Yep. It just must feel like you know smack, 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 smack every Saturday. Yeah, and it's funny because but every every market has a silver lining. Right. So, you know, yes, prices rising, Jazz and her partner, they held off for a few months waiting to see if prices would ever stop rising. Right. Um, and that's the time when they came across the podcast and also the elephant in the room. Um, and then this is where she says, she said, I found a mediocre mortgage broker with no advice. He didn't even give us our borrowing capacity, he just said, there's no point in um, because you're in lockdown with no income. So I don't know what sort of industries they're in. And I guess in a way, um, yes, if they had no income at that time, they weren't going to be able to get a mortgage. But clearly, you know, they've they've fast forward April 2022. By then they had a $150,000 deposit. So they've obviously gone back to work and they're saving. But the thing about that that mediocre mortgage broker is that how unhelpful, how unhelpful to not say, right, well, this is a plan for when you are working again. This is what we're going to do when you are working again. And this is what we talk about. Step one in, you know, the pay system, your first home buyer guide pro- um, program, the, the course, is to get your support crew. And we teach our students how to work out how to identify a good mortgage broker. Because Questions I'm, to ask that you don't even know that you need to ask. There's so many shit ones out there. And this is a <laughs> classic example who, very low care factor who really wasn't giving any advice whatsoever. Not Shocking. only that, Veronica. So not only have you, as he said, now I'm not even going to tell you how much you're going to borrow. Fair enough if they didn't have an income, but they, you know, you can actually model out some mm. certain things once they were returned to their normal employment situations. But she does refer to the 5% deposit schemes and that really is within the lane of a mortgage broker yes. to provide advice up, upon because you don't you can't just say 5% go to the bank and say i only want to you know i'm only going to put 5% in because i want one of these government schemes without mm. having knowledge about how you actually apply for one of those positions mm. and what you have to do in the lead up to that application so that big advice piece around what they thought they were going to do, which is get a place in a scheme that actually potentially has might have been one of the ones that has limited spaces, mm. might have to apply up front, it might have had a time frame. So depending on which of the, the different schemes they were going to look at accessing, that was the perfect opportunity to be educated by somebody who is in their lane of expertise to provide that information. Yep. And, you know, remember when we interviewed Sarah, who was that first home buyer who used a buyer's agent? I yeah. can't remember what episode that was. And she talked about, you know, the the broker that she worked with. I'm pretty certain it was Sarah that said this. She got these people involved early on so she could learn from them and actually um, 
you know, they were very proactive in getting her ready and letting her know when she was ready to apply for a scheme. Yeah. You know, that's the difference a really good, interested broker will make versus someone completely disinterested. Yeah, and, and asking the questions, asking questions that maybe um, a first-time buyer couldn't know, doesn't know, doesn't yeah. know they don't know. And, you know, we talk about enormous amounts of <laughs> knowledge building that needs to happen because you don't know what you don't know. But there are people out there who do know, mm. but they don't know that you don't know. But a really good um, advisor in this situation would ask questions so that you could start to uncover where the gaps in knowledge were to start to fill those gaps in, in knowledge. Now, the next part of her email is a little bit sad, actually. Now, we're not going to reveal where she's looking, just so we want to preserve anonymity here. But um, she basically said by April 2022, as I mentioned before, they had 150000 saved by then. That's that's a good chunk of money, right? Really well Been done. Looking online and portals every night at the new houses coming up and what the ones that she liked was selling for. So she's tracking the market, top marks for that. All of a sudden, the unicorn comes up. Right, the house that actually gives the accommodation for for all three of them, eight hundred fifty thousand dollars for a nice, small but completely renovated house, level block, six hundred square meters, garage already converted mostly to a granny flat. Mm-hmm. So totally, you know, beside themselves, yeehaw! So we did everything in the wrong order. Uh oh. Um, called the new mortgage broker, and he said that they could buy it, but the repayments would be six hundred and ninety. I'm presuming a month. Um. Dad talked me out of it. They decided it was too much money, and in hindsight, we should have 100% bought that house. And this is an issue because a lot of people fear debt. Mm. You know, we've talked about this before. They fear the debt um, and also letting a dad talk her out of it. I mean, he, he's he got some level of it. Maybe he's wanting to protect his daughter or whatever. But And probably um, very well-meaning and, and, and highly caring in, in making that um, and, and fearful uh, of, of but, them getting into a position of too much debt and, and a lot of discomfort. Yeah. And so, that you know, I could only assume that that, that was affordable, even though it seemed like a lot. Um, they've proven that they're good savers. Mm. You know, they do have unusual requirements and they don't come up very often. They know that. She calls it a unicorn. So there's lots of reasons why really they should have felt the fear and done it anyway, potentially, mm. Mm. Um, on this. And um, But they didn't. They She let her dad talk her out. Dad's not an expert in property, you know. I, I would I'd hazard to say, Veronica, that, that they didn't feel that they were in control of the decision because they weren't well informed enough mm. about how the whole process works. And because they didn't know the step-by-step in-order process, they hadn't probably stress-tested themselves around if a property comes up, are we comfortable? Have we done our budgeting mm. correctly? Um, what will be the compromises? What won't be the compromises? So it's just like this this thing that looks great has kind of come in front of them. They've gone, oh, oh I don't my know. God. Yeah. Instead and you're feeling the control that can yes. come with knowledge. Absolutely, and being prepared. And the problem is, of course, in hindsight, now they're like, oh, now the fear's subsided. Mm they're able to see it a bit more clearer and they're like, oh, we should have done it. And the scary thing now is that like now what happens, not just with these guys, but with anyone who misses out on something they should have gone for, 
is that that becomes then the benchmark yes. and everything looks really inferior when you compare it to it. So it sort of screws you up in a way. It does. The next one, um, uh, even in the benchmark rate. is high. When you yeah. miss out on something that you really wanted, the benchmark is And that you could have had. High. Yeah. That's, it, if it sells for more than your budget, you can adjust to that because you go, you know what, well, I couldn't have afforded it anyway. Of yeah. course I loved it, right? But when it was within your reach, that's particularly painful um, to overcome. And, of course, the next thing she says is present present day I'm totally lost. I found another mortgage broker. So she's now on a third broker. Oh. This is the one we mentioned in the last episode mm-hmm. who actually did get her borrowing capacity. Um but what she hasn't realised is all of those months when the interest rates were rising, they were actually losing borrowing capacity. And that's that's a also a powerful lesson and that's what we're hoping we can really get into now is that if you are in a position to buy, rather than sit it out and think, I'm going to wait for this order to iron out, wait for prices to fall, wait for interest rates to stop rising, whatever, your borrowing capacity as it diminishes, it really re- restricts your ability to buy what you want to buy. And as a first home buyer, you're way more vulnerable to that than anyone else really playing in the marketplace. Absolutely. So, Veronica, just just a, an example: prices might fall by fifty thousand, but if your borrowing capacity has gone down by what was the example that we or you purchased in hundred hundred you gave one hundred forty four thousand, yeah. Um, no change to income, no change to financial circumstances whatsoever. Pure change mm. in borrowing capacity. So if the market has dropped fifty, but you've lost almost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in borrowing capacity. You, you've actually you've done the opposite of outsaving the market. You've, you've actually essentially eroded the opportunity of buying at the slightly higher price mm. when you had the borrowing capacity versus being nowhere near it now with the lower borrowing capacity. Yeah. It's, yeah, and also, you know, if you're waiting for prices to fall, they're not falling to, at that same rate. You know, the, the in the last episode we talked about that example of a friend of yours who's now got $144,000 less borrowing capacity or less purchasing um, power, mm-hmm. and even if prices fall in that as a in that area, that that's probably bigger. Par. Exactly, they're not falling at that like, at that rate. Yeah, and there's someone else that can buy it who hasn't had has hasn't been impacted quite so badly. Or maybe they've um, come down from a a, a budget that was. 1.1 million and they're down mm. to 950 or 900 yeah. now. You know that's what you're competing with when your borrowing capacity decreases. So Jazz's situation that they've they've now got two hundred thousand dollars in the bank, well done, but they can still only afford an eight hundred fifty thousand dollar house, and all the houses that they want haven't come down to that range, and they're still looking at properties in that nine to a million range, which is well, what I'd say they're not looking at it. The, the properties that suit their requirements are still sitting in that nine to a million; it's still out of their reach. Mm. And, you know, she uses words like she said, I'm totally lost. And now she's like, I feel defeated. Now what? So this is a really hard state of mind to to build resilience and keep moving on. We're going to come to you with some tips in a moment, okay? Um, She says she talked to her dad and he said, just start looking for just you and your partner. God love him. Um, And maybe she does. I know it sounds harsh. Maybe she does, right? Um, So this, once again, all decisions need to be come to and the more timely you can make these decisions. Um, but she's also saying that there isn't really in a price range that for just her and her partner's income can cover the repayments mm. for a week because obviously they're they still the rent they're factored that. in the dad's contribution, right? Yeah. So so you know, so let's let's stick to the original plan here. 
Um, she's asked, what should we do? And these are her options and then we'll hit with ours. Um, do you want to read them, Megan? Yeah. Should we keep saving for another six months to a year and wait for interest rates to come back down at the end of 2023? I don't, I don't know where that's come from. Yeah. Come down. I don't feel like the area that we are looking in will come down though. So I've never, you and I will never be quoted as forecasting any kind of interest rate rise or fall. So they're, they're not our words. We don't mm. expect interest rates to fall yes. in 2020. There's been plenty of predictions around that, but I wouldn't be hanging my hat on that. There's so plenty of predictions that said it wouldn't rise until 2025 too. That, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so just, you know, in fact, for the, for the in the elephant in the room, every year we do a full or forecaster report. And um, normally we forecast price rise, you know, the banks and various economists that come out with, with quotes about price rises and um, falls and whatever. 95% of the time, they're actually more than that even, they're wrong. Um, this year, I'm collecting quotes or predictions on interest rate rises because it'll be interesting to see how many of those are wrong. Mm -hmm. yep. So, yes, yeah, so don't be banking on... That's a great forecaster. So don't be banking on anything that you saw in no headline, right? Yeah. And so waiting, if you're waiting for that to happen... Is not the is not the answer. Well, Certainly, two continue saving. That you're though. hoping for there. Two yes. things you're hoping for. One <laughs> is interest rates to come back, and two prices to come down. So the answer so, though is question one. No, that's not <laughs> your answer. <laughs> Probably we don't know your individual circumstances, but hoping for those two things to take place at the same time, and uh, yeah, it's it's probably not a strategy. It is like waiting for lotto. Second, month, yes. second option, as she sees it, is to do the Stepping Stone Strategy course and figure out somewhere small we know we aren't going to necessarily like, but hope we can build our way up to a bigger house eventually. Now, there's validity in that, not our recommendation, certainly, because we don't know your individual circumstances, but doing the Stepping Stone course actually fills you with knowledge. It fills you with information. It challenges your assumptions and it helps you wrap your head around what's important, what isn't important, mm. and how you actually put all of those pieces of the puzzle together to actually work out if that is an option for you. It's an awesome idea. I'm not yeah. saying that that might be the outcome, but actually filling yourself with knowledge is going to help you decide whether that is a possibility or it isn't a possibility. It also, the, the, the simple fact is that for most first home buyers, they're not buying their forever home as their first home. And so, therefore, it's a reality that the stepping stone strategy is an, an understanding of what's involved in choosing a property that's going to work as a stepping stone mm -hmm. is very, very critical um, as, as a decision uh, or understanding how to do that is very, very, very critical for your first rung on the property ladder. Mm. So, you know, it's $39. Yes, just do it. Um, the third option she's recommending or suggesting, should um, I do this, she says. Sh should I? Uh, you know, a mortgage broker suggested rent vesting. But what if I find our unicorn after we buy the investment house and I can't buy it? that whole fear of missing out on what could be because you take a different path or a different action. It's a really valid, it's an option that is really valid. Rent vesting is certainly getting you into the property market. It's not solving the housing challenge that they have with their um, unique layout um, mm -hmm. and family requirements. Maybe they can achieve that with a rental. But this is a really personal um, uh, and fear that people have. If I do this, what happens if that comes up and it's better? And it can be, Veronica, 
um, even when you're buying a home, it can be one of the limiting factors that stops people from making decisions to proceed, even if they think, you know, that's that's good enough. What if something better comes comes along? <laughs> it's, it's real. A, it's, a, it's a commitment phobe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, not getting married. I'm worried that once I choose that person, that's it. <laughs> something you know? better's going to come along. The lovely thing is that at down the track you get to upgrade with homes and it's accepted, whereas <laughs> when you're choosing a partner, it's not as commonly accepted that you're allowed to upgrade. Um <laughs> So, so the thing with this though, and it is, look, I think rent investing is a very valid option mm. for people who really are on the cusp of not being able to ever buy a home to live in mm. where they want to be that's mm. going to be big enough for them, right? Mm. But the problem is if you are still within Kui of being able to do it, mm. if there's still a possibility you just need to reframe or, or change some of your parameters, then... The problem with rent vesting is that you're sort of closing the door on that idea of mm. buying your own home because there's tax um, implications with rent vesting versus um, buying your own home. So, for instance, if you do the stepping stone strategy and you buy your first home, knowing that you're going to upgrade at some future point, and we say always at least think five years ahead, then it, when you sell the home that you bought to live in, you don't have to pay any tax on that. Your but capital gain is tax-free. That's the tax correct. That we're referring yes. to there. Yeah. And obviously, I'm not giving you um, finance advice or a tax advice here. It's just a fact that in this country currently, you don't have to pay tax when you sell your home that you've lived in as long as you've never rented it out, right? So, but if you then go and sell a property after you've reinvested for a period of time, you're going to lose a portion of your gains in tax. So, using a rent vesting strategy as a stepping stone strategy is flawed because of that tax that you have to pay before you can then upgrade to a home. Mm. So it works for some people if they're going to, they got really low earnings now and they know they're going to be earning heaps of money down the track, it's less of an issue. But if your income is going to sort of stay on a, a fairly um, predictable traje trajectory, then that's a very risky strategy. So mm. I would say that if you do decide to rent vest, you, you're then saying, right, okay, I'm quite happy and I'm making my mind up that I may never actually own my own home to live in. And that's that's a big call. That's, mm. a, that's a tough one. So, yep, valid strategy. Really think about it if it is part of your stepping stone and you do want to actually get into something, as Veronica says. Yeah. Now, option four, as she sees it, is to give up, quit our jobs and travel around in their van indefinitely so they can stop living in the shoebox rental with their dad. Yeah, that's, that's the answer. <laughs> That's a lifestyle choice. It's not necessarily a financial <laughs> choice. So you can still do that after you buy a home, right? Particularly if you, if you know, if down the track dad does go live with his sister in on the farm somewhere, or he, or he does something different, and you decide, you know what, we're going to go live in the van now. We're going to rent the house out for a little while. You can do that then. <laughs> yep. Don't do it now. <laughs> Just keep in mind there will be tax implications when you go to sell if you have rented at any point in time so oh no no or, remember the six-year rule oh pbi yeah fair enough okay yeah but just make sure if you do that you get good get, accounting, accounting advice, advice. <laughs> yes <laughs> don't rely on what we tell you because there, there i am going now don't forget and there's a little <laughs> piece of information that of course is relevant and and uh, applicable and your accountant will keep you well informed if that's what you're going to do so really the options and the things to consider that we recommend Ah, and, and one of them, the first one is get your steps in the right order. More than once in this email, Jazz has referred to doing things in the wrong order. Mm. Backtracking. And that's not uncommon. 
That's no, really it's common very common. It's why we don't know what put, you don't know. Yeah, it's why we put the course together, why we really at pains to say there is an order. You do need to do things in the right order. Um, things will miraculously almost feel like you have more control, that you actually know what's going on, you know what to expect, and you, in, to a degree, you've got a lot more calmness because you've, you've, you're in, as I said, you feel more control. Mm. So, but backtracking when you get the steps out of order. Remember, one of our, one of our um, students, <laughs> you know, did four, then three, then seven, then one, then two. You know, um, <laughs> that's and that's but, not uncommon either. I want to reiterate no. that because. This is, it's not uncommon for people to come to us and go, oh, I did this, then I did this, and then I did this, and then I did the course, and I went, oh, wow, I had that all out of order, didn't I? Yeah, and now we know how to do it. So, but backtracking and, and chopping and changing and fast-forwarding, going back all the rest of it, it costs you time, and in the current environment, potentially borrowing capacity. Mm, That's mm. important. Yeah, get a good broker who is proactive in finding you a lender that will give you a guaranteed rate period. Now, this isn't something that all lenders will um, give you. And sometimes you'll find that the rate can change from the time that you're approved to when you actually settle the property. So having a good conversation with a broker who understands the different lending policies, the different ways that banks put together their offers and and the, the different things that can impact on those between the point at which you purchase the property or put a contract on a property and when it settles, they are worth their weight in gold. They'll also make sure that if there are changes from when you're pre-approved to when you purchase, you're, you're well aware of those along the way. And and when certainly as part of the course, we recommend talking to your broker before you put an offer in. So let's say you got pre-approval um, six weeks ago, you found the unicorn and uh, well done for doing that. Uh, and you go to put an offer in, always pick up the phone to your broker before you put an offer in, particularly if, if it's not subject to finance approval or it's an auction, an unconditional contract. Pick up the phone to the mortgage broker and say, look, here's what we're looking at doing. This is the price. Has anything changed? since we last spoke because that can save you a huge amount of trauma um, and potential issues if something has changed and and you haven't been able to lock something in yeah now if you can out save the market great you know keep saving but i wouldn't stop looking while you're doing that yeah and and maybe that means you take a second job and sort of really ramp it up right but the thing is as we mentioned earlier nobody knows what the future holds and when rates mm -hmm. rot, fall again or plateau, you might actually find prices start to rise. Getting it that lovely situation where rates fall and prices fall simultaneously, not as pretty great. Yeah, be great. <laughs> you and every other buyer is going to pile into the market, which is going to precisely um, result in rising prices. So, you it know, it's really interesting, Veronica. We talk about. Um, home searches, people who are in the search mode, waiting for prices to fall. But the moment you become an owner of a property, you do not want prices to Ooh, fall. No. So no, no, you're, no, no, no. you're almost on the other side. Well, you are on the other side of the yeah. fence going, no, no, I want prices to go up. Yeah. Now, now, <laughs> just not yesterday. Um, I, what What is very important, apart from getting the steps in the right order, is actually being ready, mm. being ready and having your mindset right as well. Um, and unfortunately, they weren't ready when they saw the unicorn, yeah. you know, and that's and that includes the mindset because emotionally, if they, you know, yeah, in, intellectually, they just weren't ready. They didn't know what to know to put themselves in a position of saying, this is the right one. We feel mm. comfortable with our decision. We're comfortable with fi our financial um, situation. And, and we know that this 
fits with everything that we've done to to get ourselves to this position. They just don't, hadn't done that back back end work. And I love that you use the word comfortable because the fact is, <laughs> you actually, I never feel comfortable when I buy a property. I don't know about you. It's because you're always taking on more debt, and you know I balance it with what I know, and I know I know everything really I need to know because I'm a professional in this, right? But I still feel uncomfortable because it is a big step, and I always feel comfortable after about, I don't know, a few months. And certainly after a few years, I'm always amazed at, at, at how good I feel because I know what a good asset I'm sitting on and thankful that I swallowed that uncomfortable pill at that time. And despite that emotion and that fear, because I'd done all the groundwork and I really had a very solid understanding of what, it, what I was mm. doing, including price and all the due diligence, all the rest of it, I know this feels uncomfortable, but I'm still going to do it because I know I've done all the things I need to do. And I so comfort just, maybe the wrong word, maybe it's the in control. <laughs> and and yeah. we talked about it earlier, it's, it's feeling mm. like you're in control. It might be uncomfortable, but you feel in control if you've got the knowledge base behind you. But I think what's important is that it's okay to feel uncomfortable and it's expected that you'll yes. feel uncomfortable. So if you're hanging around waiting to feel, oh, this is this is the one and I'm all excited, I mean, yeah, sure, that you want a bit of that as well. But it's actually human nature because this is such a big decision to feel a high, high degree of discomfort. You've got to sort out what's the normal fear of doing something that's just a big step versus the fear that comes from a niggle that you you know it's actually not the right property for you or you know you haven't done things mm. in the right order or you don't know what it's worth really you're just using gut instinct or you know that's a very different type of um discomfort and and look when you do take that step the most common emotion that people will feel is buyer's remorse yes. that is okay it is okay. Did I do the have, right thing? Did I overpay? Oh my god! Through the steps, and <laughs> yes. you have got that element of control in your decision making. Then, yeah, you'll feel it, but you'll be able to actually put your thinking hat on rather than your emotional cap on, and get your head engaged and your heart a little bit calmer. You'll get through it. Now, there's a couple of things we've talked about doing the stepping stone strategy tutorial. I think we've already, we mentioned the where to buy workshop or the where to buy tutorial in this um, episode. I know I did in the previous one, mm -hmm. but if you need to review what your borrowing capacity is going to buy you, then you know I encourage you to do the where to buy um, tutorial because that's a process that will help you work out work through all the things that you might have to compromise on and really give you a reality check about where prices are in the market at the moment, what you can get for your money, what decisions that you need to make uh, in order to be able to find the, the right property within your budget. So there's it's a powerful information gathering tool. Mm. That's really what it is. It's cutting out the noise of the media, the taxi driver, the people at the barbecue, and mm. actually arming yourself with independently sought and verified information that you can actually make really good decisions for yourself and your personal situation based on in fact i think if do it we, we probably have to change this but if you go into the where to buy first i think you can upgrade to the stepping stone strategy for half price but i don't think i'll have it the other way around so maybe we should sort that out but whichever one you go into first if you want to do them both um go to the where to buy first and then you can get the other one for half price there's a there's a life there's hack a, for you. There's a deal. And, of course, <laughs> if you do the course, if you purchase the course, you get all of that bundled in for free. 
In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.